Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Pop. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cool. Today we're chatting to Gemma Houghton. Gemma's 24 years old and is currently doing her physiotherapy com serve in the rural Eastern Cape. Gemma's also got a love for yoga, um, the anatomy, as she will explain, and so much more. So yeah, without further ado, let's get this conversation started. Maybe to kick things off, if you can just give us a quick overview of who you are, what uh, people should know about you, and tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, well, my name is Gemma. Um, I'm 24 years old. I am a physio, a yoga teacher, and soon-to-be Pilates teacher. I am also an anatomy geek. Um, I'm passionate about dance. It was my first movement love and the foundation for everything I really do. Um, currently, I'm working as a physiotherapist in the rural Transkei. Um, as Josh mentioned, this is my community service year. So I'm placed at um, a hospital in the Transkei for a year. So my hospital mm. is quite small in that we only have 350 beds, but we serve about four districts in the surrounding area. Um, uh, currently, our rehab team, which is made up of an occupational therapist, speech therapy, and physiotherapy, also provide outreach to three districts in the, in the, in the surrounding areas throughout the month. Uh, we also offer clinics, um, as well as group clinics for stroke, amputation, arthritis, low back pain. And this year, which has been really cool, as the biggest rehab team the hospital has ever had, there's three physios, two occupational therapists, and two speech therapists. So the service we're providing is one that they've never had before, and our reach into the community is the biggest it's ever been, which is quite cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And maybe just, I want to just pick up on something that you said. You said you're an anatomy geek. Um, and obviously that, I assume, yeah. had something to do with your interest in physio. Um, and I'm just wondering where that came from. Definitely. What got you interested in in the human anatomy? So this everything, if I have to think about it, it really does come from, from dance. Um, I started dancing at a very young age. And ballet was my first sort of love. And it really hit off at DSG when I went to, yeah, I started high school at DSG and I joined the dance studio there and I was able to to study dance as a subject um, uh, from grade 10 to matric. It was one of my matric subjects. And one of the components of dance as a subject is anatomy. And I just absolutely loved it. I loved learning about something that is, you know, the bones of the body are the same for everyone. There are a certain number of muscles. They're not going to change. The bones are not going to change. And it's just something that's so concrete and so fascinating. Um, and so really, I've been studying it since I was in grade 10. And then I went overseas to dance for about two years and continued to study there. I took it up as a subject at the um, dance school I was at. And then I came back and... I was just fascinated with, with movement, obviously from being a mover myself and fascinated with how the body moves and what structures make us move. And um, I loved working with people. And so the, the thing that really brought everything together is, is physio. I get to work with people on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. I get to move with people through teaching yoga, dance, um, and I get to help people move again through my job. Do you know what I mean? So it's... It, I hope that answers your question. It all kind of gels together. Um, I mean, when I say geek, Josh, I really am a geek when it comes to anatomy. My bookshelves are filled with anatomy books, and I even asked for a human live skeleton for my 21st birthday. His name is Sam, and um, I have him with me right now. And I've used Sam for years. He's, I've taught anatomy uh, workshops for yoga teacher training courses, and Sam comes with me everywhere. He sits in the passenger seat in my car with his seatbelt on. And he's awesome. And I, it's really, that generally is um, my greatest, I think, toy that I have in my life. You guys probably have your things that you like to play with and Xbox and whatever it may be. But Sam is really cool. Um, the kids love him. My family loves him. Just last night we were having a little chat about him and the kids are like asking me, what, what bone is that? And why is his spine so long? And how many bones are there? And it, it's, it's really cool to see because we don't, your home, your body is your home and you, we don't know much about it. You know, the everyday person doesn't actually know how many, how many vertebrae make up your spine, how many arm bones do you have? And all of that stuff is really interesting. 
Gemma, do you make Sam yeah, dance yeah. as well? So Sam, Sam has got <laughs> the one side of his body um, shows all the ligaments and tendons, which to make the skeleton, it's quite hard to move that side of his body. But the other side is made so that it is able to move and it's got all the muscle attachments. So he can move. I mean, he can sit in the car with me and like he can sit in the other chair, but you can't sort of, um, you can't sort of, yeah, I mean, you have to hold him if you're going to make him dance. But yeah, he can move. I can send you a video. He can definitely have a drive. That's, yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And then just, you know, you say um, dance is obviously one of your passions. Ballet, when you're in school, mm. being an African culture, um, we are very you know, we're passionate about dance, um, you know, and how was the transition, if you like, teaching your, what you knew, well, ballet and dance in kind of the community, if you like, compared to what you know? I mean, I'm sure you also learned quite a bit from um, what you were teaching in the community to what the community were, I suppose, teaching you um, in this current context of, of uh, you know, in uh, rural Eastern Cape. So I actually haven't really taught dance, I would say, in, in the Eastern Cape. Um, but it's because it impacts the way I see movement and the way people move, it really is embedded in my treatment, I would say, with, with patients. Um, but if I go if I not if I'm not thinking about physio and I'm thinking about actual teaching in, in, in dance studios and schools that I have been involved in in the last few years. Um, even at school, I was involved in the Amopiko Township Dance Group in Grandstown. Um, and, you know, dance is a way to bring people together. Um, I mean, obviously, you can dance on your own. But if you think of all the rituals and traditional things that, um, as South Africans, we do, dance is really at the root of it all. People come together to move and to share joy and to for memories and it's a it's a way it's a form of expression it's a form of communication um so if you go into sort of the rural areas of the eastern cape it's it's part of their um cultural sort of oh, i don't want to say rituals but yeah actually yeah. rituals in the way of them celebrating all the things that they go through um yeah so it's a bit hard for me to answer because i haven't really experienced it right now but i have definitely um taught in those areas but at different parts of my life um yeah and Jim, maybe let's just touch on i think the, that's that's an awesome story that that you mentioned around movement and sam um and how we can learn so much from just being aware of the things that are going on around us and i mean you mentioned that you're 24 years old so you're relatively young and you also spoke about the the rehab center that the Butterworth Hospital's developing and building out. And maybe you can just mm -hmm. share a few insights into that and how that's being being a young professional working on 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 the front um, during the during the COVID-19 crisis and global health health crisis that we're in and lessons that you've learned and are learning inside that environment. Sure. Are you ready? Got so much to say about this. So, um, first of all, the, as I've mentioned, this is the biggest rehab team that the hospital's ever had. And so we have, we are, we're on full force at the moment. Um, but what's kind of our biggest barrier is facility because they've never had so many of us. We don't have enough space for all of us to actually work where we are. So, um, we also have been appointed a new CEO and she's been phenomenal in her vision of what she wants for the hospital. She's actually come from a, working in the private sector. Um, and so she's got this, she's got big dreams and she just wants to make changes. Um, and just a, just a few weeks ago, we had um, a few people come in to look at our space and um, they're wanting to move us all actually and put us in what they call, um, I've just forgotten the name. Oh, it'll come back to me. They're like prefab kind of blocks and they basically want to build us a whole new rehab center because there are so many of us and we're doing such great work. And um, before this rehab center or this rehab team, the hospital weren't really sure about what we did. They, I mean, physios, they just think of glorified masseuse people, you know, just give a massage and there you go. And an occupational therapist, well, that's just, they have no idea what an OT does. 
For speech therapy, they generally people think it's all about swallowing and speaking, and that's really all it is, when there's actually so much more to each of our disciplines. And so one of the biggest challenges that each of us have had as, as separate departments is to teach the community about what we are here to do and what we are capable of doing and can do for the community. Um, so we're hoping it might not happen in my time there, but we're hoping to help them develop a, a rehab center on the, on the premises of the hospital so that we can work as a team together, but also treat patients individually. And that patients are, um, you know, when they come to speech, if they're coming for all three disciplines, which a lot of our patients do, um, often at the moment, we are we completely separated. So they come to physio and then they've got to walk to the other end of the hospital to speech therapy and then back to the other end for OT. And so we're trying to develop this, this rehab center of where someone can come and stay in one place. Because um, you must remember, we see a lot of people that are disabled and to get with a wheelchair to the other end of the hospital, up the stairs, back down the stairs, the other end, it, it's just a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. The queues are really long for waiting periods. Um, and so we, we try to streamline everything. So outreach is something we do every Monday um, and we go to three different um, villages or four different villages. The one is Ajutra, the other one is Narakwe. And the other one is Tafalofefe and Willowvale. And these are um, villages that are, the furthest one is about an hour and a half away from Butterworth. And you can imagine these people don't, number one, don't have nearby clinics. And if they do have a clinic nearby, it's literally a place where they can collect their medication. And there's no other facility there. So for us to bring healthcare to them and rehab to them is one of the most important things um, in their access to healthcare. And I think what's really what people don't realize is that just rehabilitation on its own plays a massive role in the healthcare system. If you think of someone that's been in a car accident and becomes a spinal cord um, injury or becomes a spinal cord patient due to a spinal cord injury, they're now paralyzed. If they are unable to access um, rehab, they become a burden on the healthcare system. And maybe a spinal cord wasn't the best um, example to give you, but for instance, maybe let me use stroke rather. Someone has suffered a stroke and um, if you don't, if they are not involved in rehab, they can really, really become a burden because the medication they then have to take is is quite quite a lot. Um, already they probably weren't taking the medication because they suffered a stroke. If they are not rehab, rehabilitated, often they sit at home, they're no longer working, um, which means they're more reliant on the healthcare system uh, for disability grants, um, all of that stuff. They are not mobilizing so they're, they're at home their families have to care for them because they're no longer able to care for themselves so then instead of um granny helping with the grandchildren mom now has to not work because she's got to look after the granny and then the kids are not looked after the, the replications of it are, are quite severe um and yeah you just become a, a burden really on your family and on the community and on the healthcare system and rehab can intercept that really early on and you can help someone literally throughout their process of um of healing and coming back to a place of what we call functional independence of being able to care for yourself um and care for your family um yeah so outreach is is one of our biggest projects because as i said people can't come to us and this is heartbreaking, but I, the number of times I've seen a patient sleep on my bench outside my department for the appointment in a day's time or two days' time is unreal. It takes people sure. so long to get to us. And at the moment as well with the transport restrictions um, because of COVID, we have patients that only are able to get taxis once a day to their surrounding areas. And if they are coming to the hospital, they're in a line of 100 people. They miss that taxi now because they're still waiting for their file. The next day, they haven't yet been seen, so they have to wait again. It's just, it's ongoing. And, and I've mentioned the, the, the patients that are disabled, um, often taxis refuse to bring wheelchairs with them. And so the patients that really require us can't get to us because they can't come in their wheelchair or with their wheelchair. And so they can't come at all. I mean, firstly, hats off to you and your colleagues. You know, Josh and I know firsthand what um, an impact you you guys make when we did mad to run which we ran from Joburg to Cape Town and the physios were the absolute saviors in the whole trip if it wasn't for physios I personally wouldn't have made it um, and that is mild compared what you are saying you know I was just discussing with Josh now 
um, these are all eye openers that we are not privy to, I suppose. Our ignorance is bliss when it comes to what's going on behind yeah. the scenes areas. Yeah. Um, because we, you know, we know what we know and that's heading through to our local hospital when we need to. Um, so it's, it's crazy. It's sad, but, but at the same time, inspirational, what you guys are doing. And so thank you, um, for that. Um, I think leading on to the, to another question, you, you know, being a medical professional, um, in this current time, you've got all of that to deal with that you mentioned. Um, but can you share some of the precautions that you guys have been taking to prepare for the impact that COVID 19 is, is creating in your life now as well? Um, Yeah. So, um, because we are quite isolated in a way in the beginning, it was quite a privilege to be where I was because we were kind of on our own lockdown and the rest of the world wasn't around us and we weren't exposed to, you know, affluent travelers coming from Spain and all over the world, you know. So for a bit, we were kind of not aware of what was going on because of how rural we were. But, um, you know, this virus has a mind of its own and it has traveled. And so it is in our areas now at the moment. Um, but our challenge to address it is again sort of barricaded by the lack of resource and the lack of facility. Um, so we've we've tried to do a few things. Um, again, the CEO is really trying to push for PPE um, and masks and gloves and things. And I must be honest with you, I mean, I haven't had gloves since last week, um, which is which is really tough. We do have masks. We've got about a box of masks left, but these do come, when I say we don't have gloves, I will probably have gloves on Monday, but there there are definitely days where we are running low and it's terrifying. Um, But we do get replenished. It just takes a while and you have to, you have to push for it. Um, So in terms of how we are preparing, there are screening healthcare workers at the hospital gate, as well as at the casualty and, and OPD areas. OPD stands for outpatient department. Um, and so when you come in the gate, you have to uh, give your ID number and sort of your name. And that way, because if, if someone were to test positive, we know who entered the gate at that given time and can therefore investigate who was in contact with who. But aside from that, people are screened according to a few questions. Some are based on, have you been traveling? Have you been exposed to someone with COVID-19? And then obviously the five main um, symptoms, have you had a fever, a cough, and all all that stuff. So that's sort of um, addressed at those areas. Um, But then the the protocols that we're trying to put in place and and a small preparation really is, where are we going to put a patient if we do have them? Um, And you must remember that for us, it might not be a patient that is positive, well, has tested positive. It might be someone that um, has come to the hospital and have, has screened positive, but they aren't positive yet. They, they still need to be tested. But they then become a PUI, what we call a person under investigation. And in our area, it is very difficult to send someone out the gates again and say, go isolate at home. Because mm-hmm. our patients and our, our people live in one bedroom room, five of them at a time. Their toilet is 500 meters away or 10 meters away. They all share the same toilet. They have no showers. There's no running water. And so we have to accommodate them by um, having a hospital. But of course, we don't know at that time whether they are positive or not. So they are still a PUI. And so we have to have two areas. We have to have an area where patients are um, place because they are still under investigation and we also have to have a place where patients are placed because they are now actually positive because they've been tested and so that process has been crazy because we haven't had space for it the hospital is really small I mentioned that we have 350 hospital beds nine wards um, and they are full at all times and so to actually empty two of those wards where patients were already there has been crazy so we've moved the corona ward about three times to make the best space and right now we've emptied the pediatric ward um, and that is now become or has been given the title of the corona ward Um, and then we have a specific another little area that's for the PUIs and the people that are not yet positive that are still under investigation because obviously we can't place them with this positive COVID-19 patients because then they will obviously become positive Um, but then 
this corona ward is still um, connected to the hospital. It's You have to walk through the same passage. You have to walk through the same staircase. Um, the nursing staff, you know, we don't have gowns in that yet. As far as I know, since I left on Thursday, um, we haven't. But again, I like to, people are adaptive, hey, and I, this is where my positivity takes the best of me. And, and I, it might be wrong of me to say this, but, you know, we have dealt with TB in South Africa and, and HIV for a long time. Our nurses know how to handle those two things very, very well, let me tell you. Um, and those are airborne or HIV not, but TB is an airborne um, condition. And so I truly believe that our, our healthcare workers genuinely do know how to handle this. Um, and so our nursing staff, although they're scared, they do know what to do. And without gowns and that, they really are taking the precautions necessary. Um, I think in the Corona Ward, I'm not allowed there at, at the moment, and I'm actually trying to avoid it. I think there are a few sort of outfits. Um, they might not look like their overseas outfits, but they are, there, there, is a, there is gear. It might not just be um, amazing at the moment, but it, it is being worked on. That is one of the things that we're trying to do. Um, I, mean, no, I just think that, that the yeah, from from a from a preparedness um, side of things, this is it's been an eye-opening conversation, and the points that you raise are so so relevant, and I think so many South Africans will benefit from listening to this because while the president and the government have taken massive steps over the last six weeks to ready the country for the Corona peak in September later this year, according to the models. I think a lot of people might have not realized that there has been so much movement on the ground. And what I mean by that is the preparedness of these hospitals. A lot of people, I think, sometimes are under the mis or misconstrue actually what's actually happened. So to think that naively yeah. that we've been locked in our houses and over the last six weeks, the economy's taken a massive hit and people have not been able to move and not go to work, et cetera. But the movement on the ground and what's actually happened in rural hospitals and even hospitals around the big city centers of South Africa is actually phenomenal. Um, and I know, Kurt, you, we, we, were, we were chatting earlier about the preparedness and the business opportunities that have come from, from the current circumstances that we're facing. But it's really encouraging to hear that the, the hospitals are playing ball and are coming on board in terms of realizing yeah. the severity of the current situation. Yeah, I think those yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's each area, I suppose, is different and, and preparing differently. You know, I know local hospitals here in Johannesburg, government hospitals um, have prepared quite well. And in some instances, um, you know, I've got family in, um, within the system of, you know, as, as a doctor currently. And he's saying that a lot of the government hospitals are actually more prepared than the private hospitals in some, in some instances. Yeah, definitely. Right, but you know, certain areas where um, where they're not as prepared because of, you know, funding or whatever else that, that, that kind of comes into play, I suppose. But as Josh says, it's, it's good to know that um, that collectively as, as South Africans, we are trying to do as much as we can. Um, but, you yeah. know, I'm just hoping you get your masks and you get your PPE sorted because mm -hmm. that is very important. Well, I mean, it's what we're trying to also do is have a protocol of who is going to treat these patients. Um, well, we do actually have a, a corona in the ward at the moment, um, but who is going to treat the patients when they are there? And we are trying to bottle it down to about four to eight people into the corona ward at a time. It will be probably about one to two corona doctors, um, two or three corona nurses, and then a, a corona sort of cleaning staff and um, someone that's a porter that brings food from the kitchen and that kind of thing. And when we, why that's so important is obviously everything's got to be sanitized. And if you're, we can't have the nurses changing shifts and going from the corona ward up to the medical ward or to the, the pediatric ward. There's got to be specific people for, for these areas. And so I think um, the last sort of meeting I was involved in, that was being put in place. Um, and so when I say PPE, we don't, what we're trying to avoid is going, we need PPE for the whole hospital because we know that that's not, that's not possible in South Africa. So if we have eight PPE kits a day, we, we are okay because we're, we're only allowing those people to go into the corona ward. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. The masks and gloves, 
Um, most patients now are wearing their own masks. We've got beautiful shwe shwe patterns that come through the door. Um, and we have our own medical surgical masks. Um, it's just the gloves that are an issue. But again, gloves, if you're washing your hands between patients and multiple times during the, uh, during the time you're with the patient, um, mm. you can almost, you know, not need gloves, which obviously if we have gloves, we're going to use them. But there are times where we, we don't have gloves. And so it's important to, to just take the normal hygiene proportions. Um, Thanks. But what I really yeah, want to actually chat you guys yeah. about as well is, is the, the CB. Um, what I'm quite interested to see what will happen after this. Because we know TB is airborne, we now have most of South Africa wearing a mask. Um, and the precautions that we are taking are very similar to the precautions that we need to take for TB. Now, TB is massive in South Africa. Um, I think in 2018, they recorded about 65 or 63,000 deaths of, of, of patients with TB, which is, if you look at our corona deaths, I think we're over 100 now. Um, it's minuscule compared to TB. Mm. So I would love to see at the end of this all what our TB numbers have actually got to because of our corona proportions. Yeah, hoping the education of all of this kind of carries on now. In um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so there's lots of, Jim, and thanks so much for all of that detail. It's great to share it. And also for, for Dive, definitely found it very informative of all of the different perspectives and what's happening on the ground in, in the rural Eastern Cape. Just changing gears a bit um, and going back to one of the first things that you mentioned when we started the conversation about movement um, and mm -hmm. how yoga and your background in that has helped you through this time, has helped you stay connected with others while being physically distant um, and also just chatting about Move for Two. Uh, and that's a, a phenomenal organization. And I mean, if you pop onto their website, their, their opening line is that, uh, my quote says, we want people to partner with us and be moved in heart, enabling children to move in body. And I'm, I mean, mm. that just brings, uh, <laughs> brings goosebumps to me when I, read, when I read something as powerful yeah. as that. And so maybe, you know, let's kick off the, the discussion around movement and you can start with, tell us a bit, a bit about uh, Move for Two. So your body is made to move. Um, <laughs> it's your home. It's where you live. But it's made to move. It's not there to carry your head. You know, you are you have joints that are are meant to to move you. And um, I think it's so important to. I mean, Josh, what form of exercise? Let's. I mean, Kurt, what do you? I know Josh is a runner and cyclist and all that kind of stuff. But what do you do to move? I mean, what do you what do you like to do? Um, so that's a good question. I um, I've, um, I hate running, but um, but am forced to run as much as possible. And I say that, and at the same time, go. You know, I'm so lucky to be able to run. Um, yeah. But yeah, I move by doing a bit of um, exercise every day, whether it's stretching, whether it's jogging, whether it's walking. Right. Um, and soon to be yoga. Soon to be yoga. Yes. <laughs> My significant other keeps pushing me to just try a yoga class. I think I'm just more intimidated because I'm a newbie, you know, so I, I know I can't yeah. pitch and move yeah. in those ways. So, so maybe I should try and, uh, you know, you can give us a beginner lesson and we can get kicking off. My point is you both move and and I, you can nod your heads at me now. It, it brings you joy in your life, yes? Sure. Josh, nod a big nod. Yes. I hope so. It I does. The so. release of endorphins, <laughs> the 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 movement of your body is it's so important. It's it's so needed for your body at any given time. Um and uh, yeah, I mean I'll get to that as well. But move for two. Let me let me start with move for two because that's where it really all started for me. This whole teaching online and all of that. Um, so move for two is a NPO um based in Gugaletu in Cape Town. Um, and they use dance to really change the lives of children in Gugaletu. Um, that's the short of it, really. And Josh, you read something that's really special and their sort of logo or slogan, I'd like to say. So they integrate dance with life skills to build long-lasting relationships with the children of Gugaletu. Um, and dance, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a way of bringing people together, but it's a powerful tool to... Um, to, for people to connect and for people to learn, learn really like lifelong skills. I mean, the stuff that I've learned just by moving in a studio, um, discipline, time management, 
skills that are really needed in everyday life and, and if you want to be successful. Um, but taking dance lessons is often a privileged activity. And so their aim is really to make it available to those who might never be able to afford it or come across dance in, in a formal sort of lesson kind of sector. So the name Move for Two came from the idea of people moving together um, and it, it, it's by the Back a Dancer campaign, which is what Josh has really just explained. Um, the donors are there to move in heart, to give and allow the children they teach to move in body. And so the Back a Dancer campaign is, is the biggest, it's, it's basically what they do. I am a Back a Dancer myself. So I pay 200 rand each month to back a child to move um, a month. Uh, the classes that they take are, I think they range from ballet to modern to hip hop to all, they just move, there's everything, everything at the studio. Um, and during this lockdown, lockdown sort of period, the, the children were no longer at the studios moving and connecting and they were consequently at home. And in these areas, you must understand that some, some children relied on the food that they were given at school. Um, for their meals in the day. And so because they weren't at school and dancing, they became quite vulnerable and in need of, of food. And so Move for Two partnered with the Guguletu um, Action Network or Community Action Network and the Seaboard Community Action Network um, to start this food parcel um, project. And so they approached their donors, Move for Two, um, approached their donors saying, your children your children, the dancers you are backing are no longer at the studio and, and can you help us out? And for me, it was a no-brainer. I just thought I've got so many skills that I can give to this. Um, I will continue to back my dancer, you know, once a month, I'm still paying my backer dancer rate. Um, but I wanted to do something that was bigger than that. And so yoga, using you know, this whole thing of moving in heart to move with a child in body, I thought, well, why can't I move with them, actually, because I am a mover myself. And so teaching yoga on Zoom, people were on lockdown, we were all moving virtually um, at that time. Anyway, and so I approached Jessica and Nastasha, who ran Move for Two, and I said, listen, guys, I'm really keen to do a virtual class for you, and it might not work out, it might be really silly, it's, nothing may come of it, but let's give it a go. Um, and they were really keen, and I put it out there on social media as a donation-based class, um, opening up the value from nothing to as big as you want it. Um, and I had 80 people join me online. It was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I raised about 10,000 rand, which was enough to feed 132 people for a week. Um, and their goal was to uh, feed about 100 and what was it, 112 families for a week was their goal um, and to continue to do that. Um, and so generosity feeds generosity, hey? So my my sort of initiative has been the first of many for Move for Two. And since then, I think they've said over 800 people um, through donations, that, that number could be wrong, but I'll have a look at my social media. Um, and through, yeah, most of them have been uh, just people, you know, once off donating. But a few people have actually, uh, I don't want to use the word copy, but sort of taken my initiative idea and replicated it in another form of movement, like let's do Pilates together, join my virtual class and donate to Move for Two, or let's do a hip class together and donate. And so it's been really cool to see that as well, um, because I genuinely not, thought that not, I would do this not, once off. Yeah, it's not, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily worry about copying because it means that you, you yeah, started exactly. something phenomenal, phenomenal, you know, and that, yeah, the, the, the copy is not really people, the right word, but replication. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, Jim, maybe just to, it's something that I just want to latch onto quickly is, is how you describe movement. And you said that our bodies and, you know, are built to move and how yoga, both mentally and physically, can help you with that. And even though we are physically apart, through these interactions, whether it be virtual, whether it be in, in you know, you know, even just on a podcast or a meditation app, that has helped people get through this time. And I just wanted to get your views on on how yoga specifically enables you to move both uh, physically and mentally. So, first of all, let me just state that yoga is not for people, not only for people that can touch their toes and stand on their pinky finger, 
which okay. I'll have, you know, that many people do think that I have so many people say, oh, but Jim, I can't do yoga with you because I can't touch my toes. And it's, I find that really sad because it's not about that. And, and I feel that yoga has become westernized in so many ways that people think it is a, only a physical form of, of movement or, or a way of life, really. And it's, it's so much more than that. But movement is natural. I've said that to you. Your body moves. Your body knows how to move. It's built to move. Um, and the way yoga moves your body is very natural. Um, not that running isn't, but running for the distances that you both do and at the impact you both do is sometimes not natural. Hence, brushes to knee operations. Exactly. So the way your body moves is is natural in this way. Um, but what we also start to see when we practice yoga is the benefits that embrace all aspects of your life. And I'm speaking about physical, emotional, and even spiritual benefits. And sometimes you're intentionally aware of this and sometimes you're not. Um, so physically, we're looking at developing long and lean muscles with functional strength. Um, your body, as I said, will move in ways that your joints and your spine are made to do. And the movement will actually optimize um, the structure of your body. Um, in these in these specific areas, and I'm, I say spine because your spine is is the axis of your body, and it's really the the key area that we all need to look after. Um, everything comes from from that from that, and it's we don't pay enough attention to our to our spine. Um, emotionally, I think people start to foster good connections with people um, themselves. When you practice yoga, you're immediately tapping into joining a community of people that move. Um, in that way, just like you run with people and you join a running community. Um, but because yoga addresses physical, emotional, and spiritual um, aspects, it's it's all encompassing. It's not, I'm not saying that running isn't, but it's a different kind of um, community that I'm really talking about. Um, so your physical so you movement. I just want to, I want, I want to interrupt you there. So do you think that yoga can teach us about metta? and about loving kindness not only to others around us but also to yourself and how and especially in a time where you where we need to navigate and adapt to change uh we can learn a lot from a practice of yoga and being both maybe physically still but mentally present as well yeah so awesome awesome point josh so Yoga, um, the actual word yoga is derived from the Sanskrit word yuj, which means the union. Um, and so if you look at the word union and you look at the um, sort of the eight limbs of yoga, which I'm going to get to in a second, yoga removes ignorance and effect of eternal peace. So yoga, and think of the word union when I say yoga, is the goal. Um, and the physical practice and the practice of all the sort of non-physical things as well allow us to reach the state of union so when i say limbs so the eight limbs are come from the yoga sutras which is the traditional text of yoga and i'll actually touch on some of them because they really are interesting and josh you've actually touched on some of them yourself even though you haven't known this so one of them and i'll say them in english because you don't need to know all the fancy names but we talk about yamas and niyamas which are basically um your your yamas are your restraints and how you treat others. And some of those are non-harming, truthfulness, non-stealing, the right use of energy, honoring yourself and others in intimate relationships, um, not being greedy. And then your niyamas are how you um, treat yourself, your personal observances. And we have cleanliness, contentment, um, self-discipline, self-study. And then the last one, letting go of the ego. Um, and so all these things are part of your practice. And you might be thinking, what is this chick talking about? But, but they really are. They, they start to, once you start to practice yoga, a whole lot of stuff happens. Um, you start to become aware of yourself on an energetic level. Um, you start to become aware of uh, others, those around you and um, your family. I actually wrote something down. I'm trying to find it for you because it was very cool. There we go. While you find that, Jim, I mean, you've obviously done now this incredible Zoom digital yoga classes for and with move42.org, but are you going to, have you thought about taking this back into the rural community and potentially doing a few physical classes when we can obviously all um, get together again? 
you know, speaking of all these things, firstly, I need to now clearly sign up for yoga. Um, but I think saying all of that stuff, you know, healthy body, healthy mind, um, you know, move foot to obviously teach more than just dance. It's life skills, self-help initiatives, you know, HIV training, conflict management, listening skills, all that sort of thing. Um, and you, you move for choose also got volunteer doctors that run various workshops um, addressing, you know, various elements, sex education, HIV, AIDS, education, all of that. Um, but what about kind of starting these workshops within the community um, upskilling those that can after a certain period that you can run kind of smaller workshops now as well um, within the Eastern Cape? Yes, I would absolutely love to. Um, and what would be really great is because I've mentioned we already are, we already go on our um, once a month to different areas. And so if I could in integrate this way of moving and this way of being, it would be really, really um, phenomenal, I think. What's tricky, though, is because it's not really understood, um, it's hard to sort of pass that by on a on a healthcare level um, and also sort of through my lines of communication high up top. Um, I, I, you would like to think that I could just go out there and do what I want, but um, there's a there's a sort of structure about how to how to do that and what's in my scope of practice actually as a physiotherapist. Um, especially on my community service year. I mean, if, I, if we were talking about any other year, um, I think I'd have free reign. But this mm. year, um, it's not that I'm monitored or supervised, but it, it, I sort of have to be aware of the fact that I'm not really available to just do as I please, um, which in a way is quite a good thing. <laughs> but in a, what I'm trying to say is there's, there's so much room for growth here and stuff that I can start to do in the future. Um, yeah, I think we can definitely learn a huge amount from being mindful, being conscious, and also understanding the different flows of energy in, around us. And I think even from an economic standpoint and the, the discussions that are being had now around economic models and thinking about we are living in the 21st century, but we are using economic models to sustain ourselves that were built in the 20th century. And do we need to move to more circular uh, economic models and the circular economy, the plastics economy, and how does that inform the decisions that we make? And going back to something that you mentioned, Gem, around the kindness to oneself and how if we are kinder to ourselves, potentially we might make better decisions and we might be more willing and open to learn from those around us. And I think it's, I mean, you even highlighted in terms of the outreach and how going out into those communities, they are so dependent and reliant on the services that are provided through those little outreach programs. It really does just open a, a, a whole new world that can and will, I think, be explored through the use of technology and as more people um, are exposed to tech and the, the internet expands and access uh, opens doors and stuff like that. Um, and I just, I, I really get excited when, when we start thinking about this stuff and discussing it, because I think there's so much opportunity in South Africa. And thanks to technology, we have the opportunity to leapfrog um, our growth and develop Africa into the country that it can be. So yeah, that's my, yeah. my little rant um, <laughs> about being excited around what technology and mindfulness can can enable. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you the crux of it is if you love yourself and you um, and when I say love yourself, I don't mean there's a difference between sort of arrogance and you know yeah there's a difference between arrogance and love love. But when you do love yourself, you have energy to love other people. And I'm not talking about intimacy here. I'm talking about um, you know, generally caring for other people and making the making the right decisions in life. And again, I can again go back to the eight limbs of yoga and, and those um, sort of principles and qualities that I spoke about before. When you start doing things for yourself, um, you start to foster all these good qualities and can therefore give to other people. And it becomes a good energetic balance because you feel like you're no longer giving to take, but you're giving to give. And therefore, others will give to give as well. And there's a completely neutral energy transfer. 
um I don't know if that makes sense but yeah it does and I know so I know Kurt's going to be signing up for for yoga classes after this conversation um <laughs> so maybe just tell us about how people can get in touch with you and what um how they can contribute to move for two and also how they can start uh, or partake in your yoga classes online and virtually Cool. So I'm offering weekend classes at the moment because I'm obviously working Monday to Friday and I do love my job. So I'd like for my Monday to Friday to really be about physio-related things and really giving back to my patients. So I'm going to be teaching on the weekends. Um, currently, just because I'm not sure of how many people are joining me, it's a Sunday evening uh, afternoon slot. At the moment, it's half past four. Um, you can get in touch with me is pop me an Instagram message. My handle is jim underscore Halson. Um, and I post quite a few class details. On, um, alternatively, just send me a message on Instagram with your email address and I can add you to my mailing list. Um, in terms of move for two, if you join me in moving, we will move together and contribute to move, to, move for two monthly. So I have started a little rate for my class. Um, the drop-in rate is 60 Rand, or you can pay 250 Rand for five classes. That is if you're one user on Zoom. And then I have a couple of other rates. Um, I should know them offhand, but I do not. Um, for if you are sort of more than more than one person behind a computer, you can split the rate, and then it's cheaper than more people, in other words. So once a month, the proceeds from moving with me will go towards Move for Two. I really aim to raise enough money each month to back a dancer, maybe actually two, three, four, five dancers. As I said, it's 200 rand a month um, to back a dancer with Move for Two. Um, and in the meantime, that money may go towards the food parcels that I've spoken about. But Move for Two is actually really in need of this money at the moment because when they do go back to lockdown, um, we need to go back to backing dancers. And if we can back more children to get into a studio, to use movement to deal with this pandemic and with the things that they've gone through over this time, um, I think it will make a massive difference in their lives. Um, so, and at the moment, I think some of the donors for Move for Two have actually had to pull out because people are not earning a living anymore. Um, and even though 200 Rand might not be a lot for people um, a couple of months ago, it's quite a lot of money at the moment, I think. And so some people have sort of come out of um, donating. And so this is the way we really need to um, up the back of dancer campaign. So um, they're moving with me, but what they can also do is just go onto the Move for Two um, site uh, and there's a donation tab. And if you click on that, you can um, become a donator or a donor um, for a debit order, or you can just do a one-off donation. Um, yeah, so I think I've answered your question. Yeah, 100%. Jim, I think, you know, in closing, firstly, I want to say thank you again for, for your time today. I know you are busy, um, but you're also part of a, the generation who will help lead change in the future, which I think is very important. And, you know, being a young South African, what advice can you leave with fellow South Africans, um, you know, in order for us to come out of this crisis and I suppose place we were in before the crisis, um, you know, what advice can you give fellow South Africans um, in order for us to rise up and get through this stronger together? Well, I think the first thing is to understand the process of all of this and understand the reasons behind why um, all of this is happening. And when I say understand the process, some of that also means educate yourself on the process educate yourself on what is going on in the world and, um, you know, why are we on lockdown and, and even edu educate yourself about Corona actually, because, you know, all these things relate to the human body and maybe not so much movement, but you need to know a bit more about what, what Corona is and what it does around you and you're kinder to yourself. Um, so I would say educate yourself not only on the health aspects of it, but also for me, it's generally the economy. I'm definitely not someone that's um, into that kind of stuff. So a lot of the time I have to um, think about that stuff too. So educate yourself on the things that aren't um, or don't come easily or natural to you. I'd say support local. I think that's really important for us going forward, um, especially uh, with the economy. But my last three things I think I would say are 
this isn't the end of the world. Um, if you look at our history, human beings are really adaptable. Um, and we are in, we are so capable and resourceful. And I think adaptation is one of the biggest strengths of our, of our um, generation as well. We, I think we know how to get through this. And I think if we support one another and we give to, not to give to take, but to give to give, um, we, we will get through. And if we all follow that give to give, I think we will um, come back to a place of normality. Although I don't think we all will feel normal again. I think this has taught us a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. 100%. And I think also just start, you know, I think as you did, just start with something that you think will make a difference. Start with that, you know, yoga yeah. class and get in touch with people and collaborate and communicate yeah. better with yeah. each other. And, you know, on that, get in touch with Jim. Even if you think, yeah, even if you sorry. think it doesn't work, um, sorry, I interrupted you. Even if you think it's not going to work and it's not going to be big, it's, it's not about that. Um, just start that's actually yeah very such a good way to put it just put yourself out there um just yesterday i made an, an instagram igtv which i've never done before and it gave me such anxiety but i i read a quote uh, yesterday morning from Brene brown and i'll actually read it to you because um it's really what's inspired all of this actually and it might be a good way to end actually but Brene brown says um to be vulnerable and to really put yourself out there and lean into it is, is to live courageously. And I think that's really, really important for us right now to, to just be vulnerable, listen to what's going on in your body and in your mind and just start Just do something that's going to make you feel good and make others feel good. 100%. Be courageous, just start and get in touch with Jim. Um, join her yoga zoom class mm-hmm. you can get it on gem j-e-m underscore Houghton on instagram check out movefor2.org you can donate there um, it's an incredible cause you can read up more about it there too and just start like we did with this podcast podcasts of the people gem thank you from our side so much for your time and keep up the incredible work you're doing shout out to you your team um, and i suppose everyone else on the front line um, that are and that are assisting south africa um, during this time. Thank you so much. Thank you.